I'm Frank Garza, and welcome to Here and Abroad, a podcast that follows the U.S. men's national team and their player pool across Europe, MLS, or wherever else they play their club football. On today's show, we are going to preview the USMNT's upcoming friendlies against Uzbekistan this Saturday, September 9th, and then against Oman the following Tuesday, September 12th. To help me preview these matches, I've invited Mike Wojtala to join the show. Mike is the executive editor of Soccer America. Mike, welcome to the show. That's my pleasure. Nice to be here. Thank you. So, Mike, we have these two friendlies coming up, and these friendlies also, they mark the beginning of Greg Berhalter 2.0, as it's his first time being back on the sidelines since the U.S. lost to the Netherlands back at the World Cup. And so I want to start our conversation there. Is there anything about Greg Berhalter 2.0 that you're really curious to see, maybe how he'll approach certain things or changes he might make? What are some of the things you're looking for there? Yeah, I actually asked him this question when he was um, rehired as coach, which he had been talking about how he had taken a very young team through qualifying into the World Cup, which is true. It is remarkable how young that team was. And my question was, how are you going to keep, you know, what's your coaching approach going to be now that these aren't young guys? They're not, you know, in their late team, the core, the core group has now gone through, you know, significant experience. You know, his answer was that he didn't plan on changing his approach. Now I know Greg Berhalter is an intelligent person and intelligent, smart coaches, I think do adjust their approaches. And I, I imagine he would, but I do think that is an issue is, you know, he's going to have to guide players that aren't going to, you know, be quite as malleable, as they would be when, you know, they were grateful that he was the one that brought him into the team, and, you know, into a World Cup. Do you think he'll be, one of the things I, I wonder about is that, is how much he's going to be willing to experiment, you know, with different things. You saw his two assistants, Anthony Hudson and BJ Callahan, experiment with several, you know, formations and different players they, they brought in. And I wonder, do you think he'll be that experimentive? That's a big question. It was a big question when he became coach because he was, you know, uh, Greg in some ways is more on the science side than the art side when it comes to coaching. And part of that Dutch school, not the Cruyff Dutch school, but the Dutch school of a very sort of structured approach. And, you know, I found that worrisome in because I, you know, I think in some ways that's a predictable approach. The you know, over-reliance on outside backs to attack, you know, not really having a traditional creative playmaker. You know, the closest I think we might have to that is, is Gio Reyna. And I think we saw at the Nations League games, uh, the game and a half that he played there, that he's the kind of player who can do the unpredictable and the creative. Um, so to answer your question, I think he has to. I don't see how you cannot really have reassess the way the team played as far as a style. You know, I, I've also been kind of concerned of all this talk about their style and how they describe it. And I think my biggest worry is this, you know, model that every player has to do everything and be all around and, you know, track back and run. I'm not sure that's, you know, what's going to produce the best style of soccer. Well, what are some things you'd like to see him change or experiment with? Well, the big question is how do you balance the Latin style of play that so many of our players and much of our soccer community has, which is the world's most successful 
um, you know, Latin American countries, Southern European countries generally supply the best players and win the most over the long run. And then the traditional sort of American, I think we can say slash Dutch, you know, approach. You know, sometimes you'll see a game where you'll have a player out there like a Luca Della Torre and um, and then your other your midfielders that look more like your typical American college midfielder. Now, when I say that, it's not the way it used to be. The level of skill and game intelligence is much higher than, than it was in the past, but this sort of hustle type approach, I think, is still uh, you know, kind of plaguing our game some. And I would like to see a team play with more rhythm and instead of being obsessed with uh, attacking as soon as you get the ball, getting it back as soon as you lose it and, you know, center forward being judged by how much he harasses defenders. I, I think that's not the kind of the best way for us to go forward. I think we have to have a more Latin type of approach a more un- unpredictability. I think it's okay if not every player defends like crazy. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, Greg has always said his, his vision is he wants to change the way the world views American soccer. But I think the world has viewed American soccer in terms of more of this like hustle approach that you're kind of like talking about there. So do you think he hasn't like backed up his vision with actions? You know, do you, do you think he's still holding on to that old version despite what he says? I think it's a more sophisticated version of uh, traditional American soccer. You know, and of course we've been, the United States is unique in that we don't really have a style that you can point to. I thought it was remarkable to watch the Women's World Cup and see a Portuguese team that, from a country that where the women were only supported in soccer about seven years ago, and they played with all the best attributes of the Portuguese style of play. It was so it's so ingrained in their culture. Where as we've gone over the years, you know, with different approaches, we've had some, you know, off and on some pretty attractive national team play. You know, if you pick and choose through through the era, but. I think as far as, to get back to your question, I don't think he's failed as far as changing the view because I do think that individual talent is higher than ever, but I think the jury's still out. I, I, I was not as impressed with the World Cup performance as a lot of people, probably because I'm old enough to remember that that was not a major feat historically, you know, to tie England to the World Cup or uh, to get to the round of 16. The fact that it was such a young team, I did, you know, I do think is remarkable, but, you know, that's probably the World Cup, first World Cup in a, in a long time where you know, we didn't have a single Latino starter, you know, in the group play, I believe. And when I talk about Latin style of soccer, I'm not just talking about Latinos themselves, but, you know, I, I'm talking about the Clint Dempsey who spent so much of his teenage years playing adult Latin soccer and the Landon Donovan who grew up in a very Latin soccer environment when he first started and that kind of unpredictability and, you know, skill. And I think that team, the team is still missing that there's players on the roster with that potential, you know, um, we're looking forward to seeing what, how uh, Ben Kramashi fares. I'm glad they're giving him a look, but you look at the roster and you still see a lot of, uh, you know, guys who can fly up and down the wings, which I, re- I realize is a big part of soccer, but I think we saw how very predictable that can be. Okay, so looking at these, you know, two matches, uh, these two friendlies coming up themselves, I mean, on Saturday when you're kind of sitting down to watch the game and you see the lineups come out and you see the players take the field and, and the match get underway, what are some of the things you're going to be looking for? Some of the storylines you're going to be watching, players you're going to be watching? 
with, with Christian Pulisic on the field, you, you know, I was going to watch that. The U.S. performance against Mexico in the Nations League, what I, I got to see in the stadium in Las Vegas, the 3-0 win over Mexico, the U.S. played remarkably well in that game. Uh, I think Pulisic had one of the best games the national team players ever had, and Gio Reyna was very important in that game as well, who's not here. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see what he plays like, uh, you know, where he sees himself. Because he kind of – I used to be a little worried about – what his role was going to be. You got a guy like that who's a big star in Europe. Does he come back and say, I need to do everything? But they seem to be finding his way. And then how some of the newcomers complement the core players. And then as always, because I think it's important in soccer, um, is whether I enjoy watching it. You know, I mean, I think that's very important in soccer, and especially like you and I who watch soccer all the time. (laughs) We like to, you know... It's not fun watching bad soccer, so I, I want to be entertained. And, and, and certainly, there's some players on this field, who, on this roster, that you know could do that. Yeah, I think the bar set high with that Nations League Finals performance. Um, not only did they, you know, win, but they were so enjoyable to watch. And so, any type of letdown from that, I think, is going to be, you know, Burhal is going to get some criticism if there's any type of, you know, letdown, you know, from that. Yeah. Well, when I look at the roster, I see a guy like Brendan Aronson, and I'm I'm still not quite sure about what kind of player he is for the U.S. You know, he's only 22, but to me, he's one of these guys that sometimes you're like, wow, he sure is doing a lot. And then you're like, well, what exactly do they do? So I think it'd be interesting to see what he does. I, You know, Weston McKinney's kind of a tough one, too, because he seems to always have an impact some way. But then sometimes you're always wondering whether he makes things a little more difficult for the way the U.S. plays because he's sort of a little bit of everything, you know. So that, that I guess, go, go back to your first question about what Bearhalter's approach is going to be. Is he going to tweak any of that type of stuff? I think Weston McKinney should be a defensive midfielder and focus on that, you know. I can't, I, I'm sort of thinking about the old days where you would have a, 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 a attacking, you know, midfielder a playmaker and then you'd have a guy who would you know cover for him defensively <laughs> you know i think there's something to be said for that and especially all of us who've been enjoying Messi. you know i love the statistics that the two players that walked on the field the most in the world cup were leo messi and uh, mbappe because <laughs> 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 they knew yeah. when to run i think Cruyff said something like that don't run a lot but but run run smart you know and i think we have a lot of players that you know we have played we still have players that are all about running and and I'd like to see us go a little get away from that and be a little smarter about it because that is the difference right because at the highest level everybody's good athletic everybody's fast there's no you're not going to win because you outrun the other team anymore yeah speaking of Weston McKennedy you know there's there's a couple of lineup starting lineup decisions I'm really curious to see um, what Greg Berhalter does with and and one of those is the midfield you know Tyler Adams is still out we've seen again how Greg's assistants have kind of managed that and I'm real curious how Greg's going to set up that midfield without Tyler Adams what's your thoughts on you know maybe how we should set it up or how you expect them to set it up yeah that that you just kind of said but the question what I was trying to say with my last answer is it brings up the McKinney issue, right? Because can you tell him to play in a disciplined um, and the word I'm not to throw around with soccer, but you know, it can can he handle this the, the midfield role like like a Tyler Adams, which you know really did add a lot of stability to the 
U.S. team. Because if not, I'm not sure. You know, Tanner Tessman, who I you know haven't seen play much for in, in Italy for Venezia, but read about so a little bit. I believe he is a defensive midfielder type player, um, central mid. So I don't know what the possibilities of him being used. Of course, you know he's a late add-on because uh, Johnny Cardosa got hurt, but it wouldn't be the first time that someone who got called in late, you know, gets to play. So you would like so would you you would like to see Wes McKinney in that like kind of lone number six role and then, I'd like to see them play without him first. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's you know what I mean? It's like you're you're watching sometimes you're watching him, you're like, yeah, you know, it's but then he'll do you know, he'll set up a couple goals. And then you say, Well, he I, has a big personality on the field. You always yeah. kind of notice him out there doing things. But yeah, sometimes you do yeah, kind of wonder. He, I remember when I was real worried about him being too much of a pit bull and getting yellows, and he seemed to kind of Rein that in somewhat. Um, Delatorre and McKinney, can they play together? In, in, as far as if they're you know the same kind of approach, I, I think that might be kind of interesting. Yeah, I think. I mean, I personally think you know McKinney and Musa are going to be out there. I'm not sure exactly how Greg's going to set them up, but I would imagine they're going to be out there for sure. And then you know, De La Torre is by far the most experienced of the other like midfielders. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's out there. I just don't know how Greg's going to, you know, mix them all together. And I'm real curious to, to see that, or maybe he does give one of these young, younger, more experienced guys um, a shot. Well, you know, the other one, the other player <laughs> I should ask you, I mean, what do you think about Cade Cowell? Uh, I'm excited to see Cade Cowell there. I mean, I, because I think his upside he has so much upside that I think if he continues to develop, you know, in three years time when the World Cup gets here, he's one of these young guys I can actually see making the team and, and having having an impact. You know, um, he's not ready right now and he's still, you know, needs to he's still a little, you know, rough around the edges in some spots. But he's a player when he gets on the field and I see him get the ball, I sit up a little straighter <laughs> in my seat. You know what I mean, and so I, I'm, I'm really excited to see him out there with that, you know, A team, and see how he uh, molds together with them. Yeah, and it was probably a good idea to call him up because, you know, I think he's struggling at earthquakes right now, and he, you know, had some bad games in the Gold Cup. I know what you mean about him looking like he could always do something. I, I wonder sometimes if this, you know, because in the beginning I always thought, oh, here's a big fast guy who's pretty skillful. And then all of a sudden he does something near you go, whoa, what happened to the skill part of it? But but there were flashes of it, so it might still be there. And again, you know, you're 19. And, and it's remarkable that, that players that young are getting playing time. And, you because know, MLS, you've got a lot of experienced players. And it, it is you know, 19 years old. And this is, what, his third or fourth season? Yeah. Let me ask you about another position I'm curious about is, is center back. I'm curious what center back pairing Greg views as his, you know, number one. I think I think Tim Ream's going to be out there because he had just such a good World Cup performance. He's still playing regularly in the Premier League. But I'm curious who Greg's going to put next to him. You know, is it Chris Richards? Is it Miles Robinson? I think it's going to be one of those two. What's your what's your thoughts on I think Chris What's Richards is yeah. I think Chris Richards is the is the best. You know, last season he didn't even when he was healthy, he didn't get much playing time at Crystal Palace, but he came in and he played very well. 
and Miles Robinson. I would think you pair one of those two with Reem. You know, I'm sure Reem will start in St. Louis, and I think he's uh, yeah. And I and I think it's cool that they brought him in, and I don't think you know that you have to base it on whether he's whether we know or not how he'll be in three years from now at the World Cup. You know, it, it's possible that he can continue, but I, I've always kind of like Tim. I think he's a smart player. I the thing to watch is does he start getting a little sloppier as he gets older? I think he did get carded recently. Uh, you know, we're in the past relatively rare that he fouled and, and stuff. And and also, you know, no Walker Zimmerman because I've always, I mean, he actually played pretty well after I thought he had sort of plateaued, but I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth with him. Like I remember when he was first, I thought, you know, he's not a super interesting central defender, but I thought had a little more to him than traditionally, you know, he could hit a pretty decent mid range, even long range ball. But part of me also kind of kind of wants to move on from him. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he's what he's exactly. He's one of those players where you think, okay, at his age, where he is now in his career, he's probably going to get phased out a little bit because we have so many young center backs in the system now. But he keeps getting called in. He keeps you know putting in pretty decent performances. So I think I don't know. It's a matter of somebody beating him out, you know, and. Um, and 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 I think I think that's going to happen. I think Chris Richards, the the performance he put in in the Nations League finals was was so good. I, that's who I would expect, you know, Greg to to start along alongside Tim Marine. But I mean, we also know that Greg thought really highly of Miles Robinson. You know, in in World Cup qualifying, Miles Robinson was going to be a starting center back before he got injured. And so I'm just curious what the pecking order is now. You know, in Greg's mind and. Um, We'll get maybe our first glimpse of that on Saturday. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to be a different dynamic now. Um, you know, the, the U.S. men's team isn't together very often, so it makes it a little bit easier. It's not like the women's team that's together all the time. And when you try to, when a coach tries to limit the playing time of the veterans, it's you know a, a big upheaval. But that doesn't mean Bearhalter's not going to have to navigate, you know, playing time and how he's going forward with players and not face certain challenges, right? Like, you know, the guys who had his back, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, hopefully he, he will not cheat guys around who shouldn't be around the way that you see on, you know, the women's side that really hurt the program, I think. And again, you're lucky that they're young. It's not like he's, except for, um, you know, Tim and um, Walker Zimmerman, you're still talking about pretty young players. Well, let's talk about, the opponents, uh, Uzbekistan and Oman. What do you know about them as opponents? Not much. Uh, what the Federation said and what the coaches are saying about they could be World Cup opponents is, is true because the expansion, um, I believe it's eight teams and they're ranked like ninth and tenth in Asia. So they're right there on the edge. So, the, you know, it's in the realm of possibility they could qualify uh, for the first time ever in their, in their histories. Without being an expert on either, I would expect them to be, you know, kind of a defensive counterattacking teams. And the test then for the U.S. is, you know, can you get through that? You know, they made such a big deal about playing different types of teams, which I suppose has, you know, like, you know, makes sense. It could be they both are super defensive teams, and if the U.S. doesn't crack it, we could be in for, you know, pretty boring situation. But when you look at guys like Tim Wade, Pulisic, and Flo, you know. 
they should be, you know, that's a pretty good, you know, that's some pretty good talent up there. You know, speaking of Uzbekistan and, and Oman, I didn't know much about them either. And uh, so I'll just share a little bit of research um, <laughs> I, I, I came up with, you know, before before we get on here. But um, yeah, they're both part of the Asian Football Confederation. Neither country has ever made a World right. Cup. When you look at Uzbekistan, when I look at their roster, the majority of their players play their club football in Uzbekistan, in, in the professional league in Uzbekistan. Yeah. There's a few in Turkey, Russia, a few in the Saudi league. They only have one player who plays in the top five league in Europe. Um, I'm not going to say his name right, but it's Eldor Shomurodov. He plays for Cagliari um, in Syria. He's a forward. In 2022 World Cup qualification, they did not even make it to the final round of qualifying. They got knocked out in the second round. And I looked at some of their 2023 results against opponents we might be familiar with. Um, they lost to Iran 0-1 in June in the final of this Central Asian Federation Nations Cup. So that's an opponent we know really well. So they played them close. They beat Oman in June 3-0. And then they had a couple friendlies in March against Venezuela and Bolivia. They tied Venezuela 1-1. They lost to Bolivia 0-0-1. So that, that's kind of like the bottom two teams in South America. Yeah, I bet you they'll be they'll be packing in. I mean, even like a lot of the Middle East teams like Iran with, you know, the teams that Carlos Kirosh coached, you know, um, was it Egypt before Iran? Super defensive, you know, frustratingly defensive similar to some of the North African teams. So even if they're not, if even if they look like a team, they're going to be hard to beat. It, it could be a frustrating teams. Yeah. Some of those teams were one of those teams where you, you need to get that first goal and then it makes things a little bit easier, but maybe that first goal is tough. Oman looks like they might be, they might have a little bit more quality than Uzbekistan. Um, you know, when I look at their roster, all their players do play their club football in Oman. But in 2022 World Cup qualification in Asia, they made it a little bit further. They, they did make it to the third round of qualifying. They finished one point behind Australia in their group. And Australia went on to qualify for the World Cup and make it to the, the knockout round. So they were only, you know, one point behind them. Some of their recent results, they beat Saudi Arabia, you know, World Cup team 2-1 in January in the Arabian Gulf Cup. And then going back to 2022 in November, they played a friendly against Germany and only lost uh, 0-1. So I think Oman might be a little tougher competition than Uzbekistan, but you know these are both teams that I'd like to see the U.S. kind of, especially on home, home soil, um, kind of take care of business against. But we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah. No, they should be able to come out and, and, and you know, have fun, have a good game with them. Um, yeah, you do. That's one thing I do like about being in soccer. You learn a lot about the world thanks to the fact it's such an international sport. Um, That's true. Well, Mike, any final thoughts you want to share about these upcoming friendlies before I let you go? Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I'm looking for. I really want to enjoy those games, so I'm hoping that they, uh, you know, play attacking, fun soccer, and I'd like to see. I'd like to see what we saw in the Nations League where once in a while you thought, you know, or quite often you thought, you know, this is uh, it's good soccer. This is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and then we got a little bit of a wake-up call in the Gold Cup where, you know, all of a sudden when certain court players aren't there, 
you know, the drop-off was a little more disconcerting than I maybe expected. So that's still out there, right? Like, how good are these guys really? Because for however much we celebrate these young guys going abroad, if you look at the last year, so many of them weren't getting playing time or getting off and on playing time. And, you know, it's not like they're right there where we, we would want them. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see them go into to this season with their clubs and then with their first national team friendly games. Mike, for people who want to see more of your work or learn more about you, is there anywhere you'd like to send them? Absolutely. Uh, SoccerAmerica.com. Uh, you can get a free article if you just give us our email address. And uh, I'm on uh, <laughs> Twitter. What do you call it? X. <laughs> Twitter uh, slash X. Yeah. At, at Mike Boitala. Every once in a while I tweet something. So, but uh, yeah, SoccerAmerica.com. We're, uh, we are in our 52nd year. Um, starting off as a weekly magazine in the, in the Bay Area and uh, still going. That's awesome. Well, I'll make sure and link to SoccerAmerica.com in the show notes as well as your Twitter. And Mike, thanks again for joining the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening to Here and Abroad. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a fellow USMNT fan. I'm Frank Garza, and I'll be back next week with a new episode.